Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Jones gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is! Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going Inside the Ropes. G'day everybody and welcome to Inside the Ropes episode 18. Great to have you with us again on another huge week for Australian golf. Mark Hayes joining me, Andy Marr. Hello to you, Hazy. How are you going, big fella? Good to see you again. Mario, I'm pumped. What a week this has been. Uh, my phone's been ring, running hot for five or six days now, Good. ever since Catherine Kirk sort of went nuts at Evian and right through Mark Leishman. It's been a great week for someone doing my gig, so very fortunate. A lot to talk about from from both of those events. Mike Clayton joins us, uh, which is always a joy for us. Clayton, hello to you. Good, mate. Warnable's greatest sportsman. Well, Mark we, Leishman. Well, name another one. Well, he's, he's gone way past the Jonathan Brown. Jonathan right? Brown, give me, <laughs> give me I mate. mean, Jonathan Brown, give me a spell. Yeah. I mean, we love Brownie, but he doesn't hold a candle now to Mark Leishman. No, he's, the, he's the king of Warnable. There's no question even about the, that. Even the king of Port Ferry. <laughs> there you go. You can have the whole uh, south southwest region of the, of the West Coast. If, if, if Fletcher <laughs> Jones was still going, he'd be wearing the Fletcher Jones gear on the tour. <laughs> Roger Davis going to join us on the way through our road to the Australian Open Series continues. Catherine Hull is uh, – Catherine Kirk, I should say. Some habits just take a lifetime yeah, to break, don't they? That's a tough one. Catherine Kirk is going to join it. What's happened with that? Because sometimes you see the hyphen apply to her and sometimes you don't. It's no, clearly Catherine Kirk. Well, so. Her maiden name's Hull and she's taken a married name, which is Kirk, and that's how she rolls. So and you've got to break the habit of calling her Katie, which is going to be hard for you. Yeah, I just call her Katie because she just looks like Katie to there me. She looks like a Katie. But... <laughs> Matty Guy's going to join us. You, you are my grandfather. The only two that call me that. Matty Guy's <laughs> going to join us just for a couple of minutes as well. Did you ever not, before we get into the business, did you ever not or take a lot of time to get a check um, deposited into your bank account from... No, nah, the French uh, used to take six weeks, so they would, but they weren't great. But no, one year we, I didn't get any, but they, they paid out some counterfeit. They used, to pay, <laughs> they used to pay cash on the Asian tour. You would line up and they would just hand out the cash. And they handed out some counterfeit US dollars one year in <laughs> Indonesia, I think. <laughs> When did you find out it was counterfeit? I didn't. Well, uh, a few weeks later. Right. I think when oh. Terry Gale took the winner's prize to the bank and they said, this isn't real. <laughs> Do you know what he did thereafter? Like to, no, I'm not sure. No, but no, no, no. Yeah, but no. no, no but that was, the, that was the ultimate payout was you used to file into the office after the tournament. They would just Cash. hand out the – so I remember when I, you know, I sent my wife home with – Thirty or forty thousand dollars in cash. I said, "You've lost a lot of things in your life, but don't you dare lose this." Andrew Gaze tells a story about coming home from um, when he was playing in Greece, playing basketball in Greece, and uh, they used to pay in cash as well, and they didn't know how to get the cash back to Australia. So he 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 got his wife to put. They had a a newborn child. Mm. they, they were putting like $15,000 worth of Australian um, dollars worth of cash in their baby's nappy. In the nappies, in yeah. In the nappies, trying to yeah. get, the, get the money back into Australia yeah. through customs and yeah. all sorts of stuff. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's been on the, I hope he's on the public record having told that story. <laughs> yeah. 
If he isn't, sorry, Gazy. We've That's just right. got the, the, ATO, the ATO's number. They'll be giving you a call. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he owned up to that income and paid the government as he, precisely as he should. Well, he's a very, yeah, a very honest a, bloke. My word is. Yeah, he's my a word very is. honest bloke. My he always is. told me he was happy to change nappies. I never realised why. <laughs> beautiful man. A beautiful man. Um, okay, what a, what a week it's been. The second last of the FedEx uh, Cup playoff events, the BMW Championship. Belonged to Mark Leishman, not through, you know, anybody falling over, not through, you know, him playing, shooting 62 in the final round to blow run away. He just played four awesome rounds of golf and never, ever looked like he was going to take his foot off the throat of this tournament. It was a masterful display from Leishman. I've wanted to say this on air for a long time. He pants them. He did. He, he did. He pants them and, and this is... Effectively, the top 70 players in the world. I mean, there are a couple of exceptions who weren't there, European. But this is the elite. It's the second last playoff event of the year. Um, everyone who's anyone's there, basically. So, you know, full kudos to him. He's, he's smashed them from pillar to post and did it with a leg in the air. All these cliches in one friend, in one sentence. I love it. No, you've, you've, I don't think you've cleared the deck. I think you've got a few more up your <laughs> sleeve somewhere. Clayton, Justin Rose makes it. Like a bit of a kind of run at it and gets, I think, within two, two yeah, at about yeah. the t- about the sort of turn in the final round. And um, you know, if you had a if you're a believer in kind of the jitters, maybe you know that was the point where you know Leash was going to make a blue, but he didn't. I mean, he just he just sort of gathered himself and and burnt Rose off. I mean, it was an unbelievable performance. Yeah, fifteen's a well, he missed a short birdie part of the par five, and then fifteen's a. Little drivable par four, he had a great little flip over the bunker to a couple of feet, and then made the birdie up the hill at sixteen, which was the end of it. Really, so it was was over after sixteen. But I think Rose got within a couple, having played the easy holes before Leishman had played them. So it was kind of a fake two shot leak because Leish had to play the two holes that were birdieable, and he birdied them and went four ahead again. And so it was. um, He set a record. I mean, he's. I think he might have. Did he finish level with Tiger's scoring record in a FedEx event? I'm not sure, but. 23 under was yeah, immense, yeah. and I think it was right there with Tiger. But what he did do, Andy, was set a, a par four scoring record for the tour um, this year, like the lowest score combined on par four. So he didn't just, you know, some guys sometimes, as Clates are saying, you know, a fake lead might be there. Some 68s are just 18 pars with short four short par fives. Mm. He actually earned this on the par fours. Um, I mean, it was a dominant performance. He did. Drives it beautifully. Oh, he's in awesome, he, his yeah. putting stats have been off the charts all year, and it all came together here. And who knows? Who knows? He could be Warnable's richest man as well as its best. Well, he probably is. He's already made twenty-seven million. Yeah. I think I saw he made that twenty-seven million. I think I saw that splashed up somewhere. His career earnings are twenty-seven you know, million. I mean, Jim McKay, Mickelson's old caddy, commentating now, calling him the most underrated player in golf before last week, and he's still he can walk out. We're looking out in the city of Melbourne. I mean, he can walk out there tomorrow and. No one would recognise him. Yeah. You know, they recognise every bloke who's playing the AFL finals this week. It's true. They wouldn't recognise him. Can, can I give a bait to someone, Andy? Go your hardest. There's a journalist who works in the States called oh. Alan Shipner. Oh, yeah, he had a rip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Cop that. Oh, honestly, he's been on Leishman's case for three years. Well, it started at the Open, didn't it? It was embarrassing what yeah. he said about him. Well, that that's year. when yeah. it came to public sort of light in or in those circles anyhow. Um, and he, he just said, this would be a disgrace um, for golf. There's no backstory. There's nothing going on here. He's a nobody. And there was almost a, there was almost a civil war in the, in the, yeah, in the was, press yeah. tent. It was extraordinary. Uh, people, not just Australians, were just like throwing all sorts of labels his way. 
Well, he's maintained this rubbish for the last two years. And you know, now the world's clambering for this story, not just the good golf, but the background story of, of Audrey's wife being 5% chance of survival. Mm. Uh, the kids, um, his brilliant attitude, his work for charity, his mowing the lawns instead of going to the gym. It's, it, there's so many good aspects of this story. And there's one idiot who sits in his ivory tower and still throws sort of bullets at, at Mark Leishman. And I just right now, on behalf of Australian Golf Fellowship, you can bugger off, mate. Yeah. You can absolutely bugger off. He, he's a good writer. I, I kind of follow him on Twitter and quite like him, and we've had back and forth. But, yeah, it was a – I mean, it's the Dan Jenkins line of always rooting for the best story. And that open. I mean, Zach Johnson was hardly the best story, and nor was probably Louis. And yeah, I mean, just write about – the kid who won. I mean, find yeah, the was, story. Yeah, find the story. Yeah, yeah no, just, find the just story. Wait for the thing to be handed in your lap. I mean, oh, Jack Nicklaus can't win every tournament. He's a great writer, but you know, there's yeah. no excuse for this no, sort of stuff. And you know, we get yeah. our back up. I get my heckles up now with you well, know defending this, Australian golfers, but that was just nonsense. And it was as silly as Dan Jenkins having a pot at Finchie for yeah. you know the Open at Birkdale thing. I mean, it was like, come on, guys. I mean, you, know, you wouldn't say that about an American player, exactly. No, of course, no, no. Yeah. It was, it was, it was shallow, and it was, it was an, an indictment on him as a journal. I mean, Hazy, you've chased yarns, and you get, a, you get somebody dished up to you. It's your, your challenge to um, find something that makes this guy's story mm. or this girl's story, this person's story, compelling. And he just clearly too lazy to do it because he's not that hard. Hey, if the story is this bloke's a really likable fella and he's a really good man and he's a really decent human being, and wouldn't this be great for him to win this? If that's the story you've got, then that's not a bad yarn. No, exactly. You know, it's not be, a bad yarn. To be fair to Shipnuck, he wrote a magnificent piece. Was it McKeel? Sean McKeel? I'm not sure. He, he yeah. must have potted him at the time as saying he wrote a list of um, the worst, worst PGA which champions. Is, which, well, the worst players to win, mate. It was like such a bullshit list anyway. I mean, yeah. you know, the guy wins a major. He's not – you know, I'm sure some have been – better players than others, but anyone who wins a major, you get four points for that. I don't yeah, care you Of course. Are. So I think that the story this year went with that, that he and McKeel had a great sort of coming together and people had told Shipnock that he, he sort of feared for his life because this guy was rampant about this even years later. And they came together and had chatted it out and the story is absolutely fantastic. It's a riveting read, like really impressive journalism. Um, so he's got it in him. I just... That don't just, square up now. Don't, no, don't, I'm not squaring no, him up. Don't Absol- square up I'm, now. I'm giving him the absolute no. mega bugger off and, and don't bother um, being so xenophobic about um, American on. golfers in comparison to the rest of us. So, so uh, Leishman's up to 15 in the world. You, know, you can get as excited as you like about you know, world golf rankings. That's really World golf rankings aren't really going to apply to Mark Leishman now. I mean, he's, he's going to play in everything that he needs to play in anyway. He's up to number four. He goes into the, the you know, tour final, you know, the fourth-ranked player going in. We're probably not going to spend an awful lot of time talking about Jason Day um, because you know he's been lost in the wake of Mark Leishman a little bit. But Jason Day was right in the frame, and there was a couple of weeks ago on this podcast that you know we started to speculate that maybe the game was coming back. And again, he looks he looks he looks one of his robust swings away from breaking down all the time. Jason Day and he played the second or third round with what one of the early rounds with what appeared to be some sort of you know back ailment. Yeah, he looks he just. But he's still hitting at 370 yards. Like, he was still swinging the ball hard. And- yeah, he hit one 366 up the 18th on Saturday. Uh, if not for a double bogey on the, I think it was the 11th, he'd have been right in the mix. And, that, you know, that might he might have been the legitimate challenger. Yeah. Because uh, I don't think, I agree with Clates. Uh, Rose was there, but it was only in, you know, in theory. Well, but day, Day's starting to show it. I, 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 
he's going to be riddled with this injuries thing forever. He's not going to play until he's 70, Andy. Nope. Um, so, you know, we've got to take it when it's there, and I reckon it's coming. Are you seeing something in Leishman Clates that will tell you that he is ready to kind of take it? I mean, next level from here is pretty extraordinary. There's only one more level to take it to, really. Yeah, major, yeah. yeah that's it. So, and he's been close. Obviously, clearly yep. lost a player for the Open. He was close when Scotty won the Augusta, the Masters of Augusta in 12 or 13. So, um, 14, whatever it was. So, yeah, he's clearly capable of winning. You've, you've just got to, in a sense, get lucky and do it in the right week. I'm not advocating that on the PGA Tour they play speed golf, but just before we get you know too far away from this, Wes Bryan goes out on his own in the last round and shoots 69 in one hour and 29 minutes. Running, now, yeah, well, yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's an extreme. Yeah. That's extreme, obviously. But here we go again. There are some players out there who are dead set death of the game uh, unless they are given some incentive to speed themselves up. I mean, there's some there's some slumber, some stuff going on out there. I again. need to go and watch how they play in Japan, where they run. If they're behind, they run. In fact, I was at Sandringham Golf Course last week. Two, three, four Japanese women running up the fairway to catch up to the group ahead. There was a two ball ahead now running to catch up. Right. So, I mean, they someone should play a tournament with a shotgun finish. So everyone obviously tees off the first hole, but every group, you've got four hours to finish. If you're not finished in four hours, you're done off. Yep. And they would all finish in four hours. They would all finish easily. Nothing's going to be done about this. I don't know why we waste our time no, talking about it. I mean, when it. I was playing in Europe 30 years ago, they were banging yeah, on about it. Not Nothing's happen. happened. It's still... It just, it's what it is. It is what it is. Um, what did you, Catherine Kirk, not too far away from joining us, um, we'll get her view on what took place in the final of the women's majors for the year, the Evian Championship. Um, there's been a lot of commentary about this, like the you know diminishing of the major status, asterisk on the tournament, you know, no disrespect to the winner, but, uh, you know, you two have, you know, you played a lot of golf where there's been inclement conditions, Clates, and you've seen a lot of tournaments and you've probably been around when some tough decisions have been made about, you know, um, whether we continue to play on, Hazy. What, what did we make of the way they d- decided on this one? Well, I'm just going to have my little two bobs worth and then clear the decks for Clates to just unload here. <laughs> I, I, there are definite reasons why you have 54-hole tournaments. Very few of these apply in a major championship, if any. Um, it, you know... Clates will talk to you a bit more about that probably. I uh, don't want to preempt what he's going to say. But you don't have talk about a pro-am or a big money spending event on the Monday at the host club clouding any judgment about what might or might not happen during a major championship. And I'm going to clear the decks for Clates. Well, no, well having played in Europe a lot, I very quickly learned that there was a, there were always – very good commercial reasons for making a very bad decision. And the commercial yeah. always wins out. Of and course. the sponsor always wins out. And you know, I'm sure there were reasons why they didn't try and at least play 72 holes. And it was what it was. I mean, we played in the, having said that, we played in Australian Open 15 years ago that only went 54 holes. And they, they decided that at 5 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. That was a terrible decision too. But I, I suspect that was controlled by Channel 7. But, I mean, in Australia, in the middle of summer, we easily could have paid 72 holes of Victoria that year, and we didn't. And that was a bad decision, too, I think. But and anyway. the Australian Golf Union got widely panned mm. for that, like smashed from pillar to post. But that's nothing compared to a major championship. No. 
Well, well, clearly, Evian have bought airtime here. Well, they bought well, four days of airtime, and they, they knew when the cutoff point was that they, they, their, yeah. their airtime that they'd purchased was going to finish at six o'clock local time, and they weren't going to get another bang for any of their mm. bucks. So let's get it finished. The, the scenes in the last on the, in the playoff where they've got squeegees on the chip lines of Eldermar, and I mean, it was just it was ridiculous yeah. what they what they forced um, Norquist and Eldermar to play in, in yeah. that playoff. Yeah, it was. I would argue that the Australian Open is a much more significant event than the Evian. The Evian's a fake bought major by a sponsor I agree. paid for it. So let's not confuse the Australian Open with the Evian. Australians are a much more significant event than the oh, No, I agree with that. I'm just saying once it's got the tag major championship, it goes to a whole other level of importance. I'm not, I'm not, yeah. not, not yeah, in comparison yeah, yeah. to the Australian yeah. Open. It's just yeah. with the reverence it must be treated and not, not have corporate commercial imperatives that override what is the presumably the fifth biggest tournament in women's golf all year. Yeah. Or in, and it doesn't compare with the other four women's majors either, really. I mean, no one's seriously thinking that, you know, it, it's a commercial event that the sponsors put $2 million more than a regular event into and they've been given the status as a major championship. I mean, it's... You know the, the players' championship. The tour can't even convince anyone the players' championship's a major. I want to go out and hit the hustings, Clates. I'm going to see if I can rattle up about four million dollars worth of sponsors for the Women's Australian Open. We might make that the sixth major. <laughs> what it's, do you think? Well, well, it's a bigger question, but given that the importance of women's golf in Asia and the dominance of Asian players, why isn't there a major championship in Asia? That's where it should be, and it should it should ra- ra- as opposed to say, the Hannah Bank being a major championship in, in Korea, it should move around Asia. Because women's golf is in, in Japan, in China, in obviously Thailand with the Jutanagan sisters. Taiwan. Obviously in Korea, Taiwan. Australia even is part of Asia. You know, there should be a major in this part of the world in um, women's golf when there's not. And one of the reasons is that they've got this – which is a it's – a, it's a, I mean, Stacey Lewis didn't play. They had issues a couple of years yeah. ago, didn't they? Mm-hmm. They had, they had weather-related uh, issues about five years ago. Yeah. They, they had so clearly they've got some um, climatic, um, lo- local climatic issues at that time of the year that are unstable. Yeah. And this, depending on how long this thing stays around for, having uh, said that, the last, you know, the last thing we'll be doing is criticising a sponsor for pouring no, money into no, women's no, golf. No, no. I mean, Evian get they get way more points than they lose mm. for, for what they've done for the tournament. Correct. So, so it's in, in a sense yeah. we can have a shot at what what it is, mm. but they get a lot of points for pouring way more. I mean, Sue O, who I dearly love and have spent a lot of time with, she made $52,000 last week, yeah, which was, yeah. you know, that's double what she would have made on, you know, on a regular tour event. So, so the last thing we should be doing is taking cheap shots at a sponsor who's done a lot for women's golf. Oh, I'm not definitely doing that. I just want to make sure that, this, that any championship that has the title major put upon it is given, you know, treated with the gravity it deserves. Yeah. There's one last thing on the local stuff before we get off this, and I shouldn't be doing this because I, I might be costing myself some work down the track. But and I, I, my my TV exists at home on Fox Sports ninety percent of the time. That's what I'm what I've got it on. So my life without the the swag of um, product that is brought to me by the on the on my Foxtel um, sports suite, my life would be poorer without it. But how you can. Um, commit to a tournament for three days and of a major championship and then get to the final day. And admittedly, it was a busy night of sport uh, around the world. But how you can commit to that and then just say, nah, we're going to have some super bike event somewhere that hasn't got Australian. Or we might have one Australian. I don't know whether Jack Miller's still riding, but it might have an Australian in it. Uh, we had an Australian who's contending for this tournament. Then they decide just not to put it on. 
no, we're not going to put it on any of our channels that we have available to us. And don't apologise for that. Don't make any statement mm. about that. I was lamenting the fact that this was the case on Twitter. And somebody said, oh, it's, on, it's live on YouTube. Now, I don't know whether I should be saying this, but I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Mm. So I went on YouTube, and it was live on YouTube for free. The final round of the Evian Championship. Now, I don't know whether this is a regular weekly occurrence. I know there are smart people out there who can bring things in from all over the place illegally, and I'm not one of those. But um, I went and spent more time on YouTube that night than I did on Fox Sports, and they've cost themselves a viewer. And I just don't know whether you can do that to a viewing audience. You can't string them along for three days and then not give yeah, them. Not have it. Yeah. No, you I can't do it. It was that. woeful. Plus one for me, Andy. Everything you said, ditto. And I, I, even if it comes to the choice of putting the KLM open well, they should, exactly. back a little bit, I mean, you have to treat this thing with the gravity it deserves. It, it, it's simple again. And yep. and I, I did exactly the same thing. I watched on, on my iPhone until 2.30 in the morning and my eyes were absolutely cooked on Monday. <laughs> I bet they but, were. But the YouTube was the only way to do it. And, you know, Catherine Kirk was in this to her eyeballs Spot until on. the 71st hole. I mean, it was 50, something that... 53rd hole. Oh, sorry, good point. Sorry. Good point, mate. <laughs> 53rd hole. So, yeah, no, no. you know, it, it's something that had an Australian appeal and, and uh, I think it was a bad decision. And I think more to what you said, Fox has got a an obligation which it neglects almost uh, religiously in that it never responds to people's criticisms. Like one quick tweet could yep. actually fix that because it will be disseminated among the intended audience. Well, just put, you know, make a statement. Yeah. Unfortunately, due to contractual obligations with other events and other sports around and our limited number of channels, we will not be able to bring you. We apologise. Look, just keep us in the loop because there it gets to the time when you want to watch it, and it's been on the previous three nights. And you turn the tally on, and it's not there. And you you spend twenty minutes flicking around, going, "Surely it's coming on at some stage," mm. and it doesn't bob up. And which... if it wasn't for the goal, I wouldn't have Foxtel. Well, I'm a bit. The only reason I've got Foxtel is the golf. Why don't they, why, why can't we get the golf channel in Australia? I don't know. But we, I'm not sure. We should. Can have. we do that? Can you? Well, you're a powerful man, Hazy. <laughs> Can you make yeah, this no. happen? Uh, well, I think I, I don't know, and I will. Maybe this is my homework for the weekend. You know, I'll report back to you next week. I understand that it's probably um, contractual. You know, an ownership conflict between Fox. And Golf Channel. Oh, okay, right. I'm but I'll, sure I'll, I'll double check that. Yeah, I'm sure it costs some money as there's, well. But there's no. been a push to have that happen, but it never got off the ground. And you know, Golf Channel is angling, always angling to expand its audience. Well, maybe if there's an issue from Foxes, but maybe they want to do it. Maybe they want to bring the Golf Channel into Australia, but they can't. Maybe we should get somebody from Fox Sports on next week to explain why that's the case. You know, you just may- just give us the information, and we'll all be clearer. I'll try and put it on my homework. Hey, just um, before we. Get off the men's game. Um, oh, no, we've already got off the men's game. I'll, I'll go back to the men's game. You mentioned the KLM Open on the way through there. Um, we're not going to spend too much time talking about Romain Wattel. No, we're going to talk about Austin Connolly. That's what we're going to talk 14 about. 14-year-old. The 20-year-old looks like he's 14. Is who, the dog who will get the last piece of meat. Coached by Cameron McCormick. Who told who's us that just, last week. Who was, um, what, what an amazing performance. I mean, the kid's made, he looks like he's 14. He looks like he plays like a 14-year-old. Mm-hmm. He's made 400,000 euros in Should Europe see. this year in nine tournaments. Played beautifully in the Open Championship at Birkdale. Cleaned up second place at the amazing performance. And if he'd putted quarter decently, would have won with by two shots, I reckon. So last week, McCormick says to us on the show, I like, if, if, you, if, you, threw, if, you, if you threw a, a bit of meat 
in between him Who's and Who's going to fight the hardest for it? Yep. He'd be the one that comes. He'd, he'd be the dog out. that comes up with a yep. bit of meat at the end yep. of it. Well, he shoots sixty six, sixty six in the on the weekend, and exactly right, Hazy. But for you know, a lukewarm putter, he probably wins the tournament. Um, he's a player. He's just a player to watch because he's clearly got an astute coach guiding him, and he's got he's got a heart that um, you know means that when he when the moment comes for him, he's going to be able to put himself in the Yeah, in one sense, he's actually really boring to watch. He's like yes, an expressionist. Does nothing. But in the other sense, it's like, how's this kid doing this? This is amazing. amazing. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where are we at? Are you well, before, going? Before we leave the men's game, um, oh, I yep. just going to need to put on the, on the, into the mix, Andy, the, the web.com finals. I was going to ask you about that. Uh, it, so it, it's go. reached a bit of a crescendo. And unfortunately, just off Twitter in the last couple of hours, um, Scott Hand has sort of thrown a spanner into the works by he's not going to compete in the third week this week because he's got a sore back, which is uh-huh. sort of a. It's not really surprising given how much time he spends in an aeroplane, but uh, yeah, he's unfortunately going to miss out. So, so he's what? Is he fourteenth? Is that where he is? No, nah, he was he's around thirtieth. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's not yeah. okay. So there's so uh, twenty five get their cards. So right. Curtis Luck's twenty six, right? That's yeah. right. Yeah. Ma- okay. And we've got four guys who have made the cut both weeks in the first two weeks of the four weeks of the so finals. There's two to go. Two to go, and four guys who have missed the cut twice. They need to finish for those guys to get their card next year. They need to finish uh, solo fifth or better in any of the last or, two or, events. Or t- don't you have to make about thirty seven thousand in the which four is events? solo fifth will get you there guaranteed. Yeah. Um, so they they basically come down to that. They can't do it on consistency anymore. So that's Appleby, Jones, Gibson, and Arnold. They're those four. Correct. Yep. yep. Now, yeah, they're, yeah, they're done. They're the good. big hope at the moment, statistically, is Cameron Percy, um, who's had two great weeks. Bar a couple of uh, late bogeys the other day, he would have finished right on the cusp of the top five and sewn it up. But he's actually tied 14. 14 yeah, he's, okay, he's yep, 14. Yep, okay, yep. so I knew someone was 14. And Curtis is 26. So Curtis needs a. I was talking to Craig Bishop this morning on the way here. He's got to have a couple of top twenties, probably. Or, yep. You know, so, some, so with decent. that's right. So with Hend, can Hend miss this tournament and play the last one? Yes, he can. Okay. And, and again, the top five will definitely get him through. But where he stands right now, probably maybe a top six or seven might get him through. But he's going to have to really push hard in that fourth week, presumably presuming his back gets uh, gets up and about again. Um, so that's where we're at with two events left to go. There, um, we're continuing. We, did, we didn't mention Brett Druitt. Sorry, he, he's the he's the oh, he's the other one, the fourth yeah. Australian who's just over thirtieth, thirty fourth, yeah, thirty fourth. So, so, so right in the mix, like right, right in the mix. He can still get through with two two top tens, maybe. Like yeah. it, those four guys can get through on consistency. The other four need to really kick some butt. There's a lot to say, Clates, that that event is far more interesting than what's going on with the FedEx Cup playoffs. Yeah, I don't care who wins $10 million. No, dollars got no interest in no, no. Mark Lucian winning another $10 million. <laughs> no. But, um, yeah. The, well, they're is, right on the edge, these guys. It's way more interesting. Yeah, yeah I reckon yeah, it is this too. Is, this is proper choking. <laughs> Spot on. Spot on. And it's always fun to watch. Um, Hannah Green, Hazy. We're batting about 95% with Hannah Green per episode on Inside the Ropes, and there's some fantastic news. Oh, this is the one we've been waiting yeah, for, Andy. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had her on a couple of weeks ago, and she said expressly, if I can just do something in the next couple of weeks uh, and sew it up and take the pressure off. And she just played one of the great rounds of her young career 64, bogey free 64 in the final round the other day in Arkansas. Yep. Um, or Arkansas, as some people. Arkansas, yeah. Arkansas. <laughs> so how, how, how can they pronounce Warwick, Warwick? I don't, I don't know. And then go Arkansas out of Arkansas. Well, why don't we call it? What are they on about? Consor. Why, why isn't Kansas Consor? That's yeah, right. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't make any Kansas, sense. Uh, yeah, it's, no, it's just, well. Is that right? I've got that right. You have yeah, that right. Yeah, you've got that right. Yeah. Tom Watson from 
The Consor City. Consor. <laughs> Consor City, Kansas City Air Well, she won the El Dorado shootout. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, no, so, this is great news. So this she came great. from seven back mm. in the final round with eight birdies blemish-free and, and steamrolled through the field and uh, won a second time on the Symmetra Tour this year. It's not a battlefield promotion, but she did sew up just by virtue of the money she's she's made. Uh, promotion of the LPGA Tour. So uh, hats off to Hannah Green from Mount Lawley in Perth. Uh, just a, a great young woman and some another person to follow with uh, sort of great vigour in the next few years on the LPGA Tour. Awesome. Um, nice bit of jewellery she won too. Ten grand. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, hey, before we get back to where we started um, in terms of the counterfeit bank, yeah. the counterfeit money coming in from that tournament in Indonesia or wherever it mm. was, um, and we speak to somebody who's going through <laughs> something like that at the moment, um, the PGA released its schedule this week. 49 weeks out of 52, there's going to be a PGA Tour event somewhere on planet Earth. And they were very, very quick to point out that, oh, historically, you know, we've had this sort of number in the past. Uh is this just is this just greedy? Yeah. Well, it doesn't do the rest of the world any good. I mean, Australia had that. Dave, you know, talking about Nicholas and Palmer, those guys used to come down here at the end of the year because there was a and there was a big window at the start because the Europeans had no, nowhere to play. Now they're playing in Dubai and through there, so it squeezes us really tight at the end of the year. But they're, in fairness, they're the weakest tournaments on the tour. So hopefully yeah. we can attract a few guys back here to play. The groan factor on that is very high for they're me. Very high. Very, yeah. very high. Yeah, it's like, you know, take your... You know, they're all complaining about going up against football, yet they're very happy to smash the rest of the world yeah. by sticking their tournaments in at the you know, the back end of the... Well, 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 they start 2018 in October 2016. It's That's like... Yeah, the International Federation of Tours must just... I mean... Of course. Speaking of white rabbits, or well, what's the what's the what's yeah. the phrase? White elephant. White elephants. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because they just go in there and they tell the rest of the tours what they're doing. Yeah. It can't happen any other way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the United Nations. Isn't it? <laughs> a little yeah. bit. Donald Trump at least had that right last <laughs> week. <laughs> Don't give him any credit. <laughs> no, this podcast, him no, you're really. right. You're no um, credit, you're right. We saw overnight there was a, a the Joburg Open. Clates is now going to be tri-sanctioned, and the exact. So it's almost the antithesis of the USPGA Tour. It's now going to be European Sunshine Tour and Asian Tour. Tri-sanctioned the Joburg Open. Yeah. So that you know all the people from other parts of the world can come and, come and play based on their rankings on their home tour, which I, I think is great. Uh, can you see a day coming when the, you've got the PGA Tour, which is itself you know, the, 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 the mega um, kind of tour, tour that it is, and just one other tour where well, everything conglomerate, all other major, all other tours around the world just conglomerate. Well, if, the, if that tour got itself organised, there's no reason in twenty or thirty years why it couldn't be the mega tour. Mm. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, yeah. let the PGA because it's just doing what it does for its own commercial interests, and if it's not meeting the demands of the majority of professional players on the planet, well, let's pull like the Joburg, let's pull these other tours together mm. and have a 49-week tour itself that provides... Um, well, well we kind of do have that. We, have, we sort of do. You know, the yeah. Japanese have a pretty decent-sized tour. The Europeans mm. have a big tour. The problem is that you, to get the mega money, you need the mega players. You need Rory to play and you need those you know, the big stars to go and play. And they're yeah, in, it's true. They're in America. And, and they've got... We don't pay appearance money in America. No, we don't pay appearance money, but when they get to 50, you give them $50 million in superannuation fund. Uh, don't tell me you don't pay appearance money in America. Hey, um, just before we get to our next uh, first guest on the show, apropos of unpaid tournament um, monies owed, um, 
Did anybody notice that Tigers tournament hasn't got a sponsor? Yeah, we did notice that. Is that of any interest to anyone? No. No. Okay. <laughs> so we started the show, Clates. We started Tiger, today's show. Tiger's wife can sponsor it. His first wife can sponsor it. <laughs> there you go. She can, she can buy about half yeah. the countries on planet Earth yeah. if she wanted to. Yeah. Um, I started asking you about any, you know, not getting paid at, um, from any tournament monies that you're owed. And um, Matty Guy, you know, highly regarded Australian Tour pro, um, put out a tweet this week that you know, that's exactly what's happened to him uh, with the China Open, sponsored by Volvo, of course, you know, reputable car manufacturing companies prepared yeah, to put its name on yeah. the tournament. Uh, he's been owed some money that hasn't found its way to him at this particular point in time. And I can't believe this can actually happen. So we thought, let's get Matty Guide on the phone and um, see how it can actually happen. Matthew Guide joins us on Inside the Ropes. Hello, mate. G'day, guys. How are you all? We're going okay. Um, we won't ask you for a snip at the moment because you're waiting for some money to find it. I mean, tell, give us what, what's actually the situation, the status of the situation you find yourself in. Yeah, it's an interesting one because, you know, I, I haven't had the chance to go and play the Volvo China, but, um, you know, it's you know, it's renowned around the world as, a, as quite a big tournament on the European Tour and, and, and certainly with One Asia over the last few years. It's been a, it's been a leg up into a $3 million-plus event for the guys through One Asia, and that means a lot of Aussie guys. And um, I found myself in a position where I got to go play this year, and pretty excited to go. And look, for all intents and purposes, it was a great week. You know, the tournament was fantastic, great location. Went, spent some time climbing the Great Wall of China, ticked that off the bucket list. But then, um, you know, make the four days, come home, and there's no money coming. You know, a month later, I've been paid already for the tournament the week after, which is a One Asia event in Korea. Um, so that money arrived, and then. I started popping questions back to one age of what's happening, what's happening, what's happening, and here we are five months later, and I'm still sending those emails out. So um, I guess my understanding at this very moment is that um, Volvo hasn't paid the money to either European Tour or One Asia to pay their players. So uh, European Tour players have been paid, is my understanding, um, but they've been paid out of European Tour funds. And the European Tour are now trying to recoup the money from Volvo to uh, put back into their bank account. But One Asia is not in a position to do that for us. So we sit and wait. And the European Tour has not expressed any interest to look after, you know, its, its non-card-holding players? Yeah, European Tours, um, I mean, they, they've been pretty good um, to deal with in, in this discussion because quite easily they could have said, look, you're not part of our tour and... You know, you entered the tournament through One Asia, and you'll have to deal with it that way. But no, they've been really good in dealing with them, and and they're certainly. Um, I'm probably getting more more info out of those guys than, than our One Asia guys. So, um, you know, they're. I, I guess not right now. They're not right in the position to say that they're going to pay us, but they've also told me that they're they're fairly confident that um, the money's forthcoming. They don't have a date for me, but they're pretty confident that they're going to get their money back through Volvo um, pretty soon and subsequently, um, you know, we'll obviously see it as well. So I think that they would, if that wasn't to be the case, then that they might well um, help out a little bit more. But they're pretty confident that the money is forthcoming soon. But, you know, it doesn't help be paid a mortgage, which has been coming out for five months. Um, so, how much is it, Matty? Uh, for me, look, for me, it's about six or seven grand US, okay. I think, from memory off the top of my head. But, you know, all, all, that, all that adds up and... And count. Yeah, sure. Like I said, you yeah. know, life life bills just keep coming, and we don't get to avoid that. And um, you know, I said to someone this week after you know I put that tweet out, and I just thought, wow, I didn't realise it was going to 
create a big, big storm <laughs> in the teacup. I actually put, probably wish I should have done it three months, four months ago, actually. But um, but certainly, you know, I said to someone, look, if you're, you know, if you're in any job and you, and you know, you did the work and you weren't paid five months later, you'd be kicking up a stink. So it doesn't matter whether you're an accountant or a doctor or a lawyer. Bloody hell, a lawyer would be all over you, wouldn't they? Oh, absolutely, they would. <laughs> what, what does it do to the credit? I mean, does it do anything to the the credibility of the actual event? I mean, here we are five months later and you haven't been paid. I mean, it, it, is it an event that you want to rush back to? I mean, you, you mentioned kind of how, you know, it's a big deal, obviously, the purse and, you know, the reputation of the tournament. Does it, um, does it make you sort of wonder whether it's a kind of event you want to go and play in next time? I think even bigger than that maybe is that it's, you know, I would I would have to say the European Tour are in a position where they'll be questioning whether they have that on their schedule again because, mm. you know, they're dealing with the same issues that I'm dealing with. They've paid out, you know, and the bulk of the guys making the cut over the weekend uh, were from the European side, not from the One Asia side. So they've obviously shelled out a fair bit of coin um, and they're trying to recoup that money right now. So I'm guessing that they're in a position where they'd be questioning having that, as part of their tour again. Um, but at the same time, I also question both the European tour and the One Asia tour in regards to, you know, surely their protocols are to have the money in the bank prior to the tournament going ahead. So what happened there and where was the breakdown? You know, I can't imagine as many tours on in the world that run the tour, have the event happen and then try and get the money out of the sponsors. So, um, you know, I, I think there's, there must have been a breakdown, but I don't know the ins and outs of that. I remember it happened once on the American tour. A guy called Larry Hinson won in something in 1971 or two where the tour paid the whole prize money. The sponsor yeah, had no wow. money. There was no money there. The tour yeah. finished up paying the whole lot. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Matty, I mean, it's hate. to see whether that happened again, that tournament happened again the next year. With the no, it didn't happen again. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, Matty, it's hazy. What, what's the talk on um, on tour among guys, just generally about China? It's gone through some interesting times. You know, the US PGA Tour has had a dalliance. It's been booted out or whatever happened there. I'm not sure. Um, you know, it, it it's was booming. It's no longer. Um, what, from a professional golfer's perspective, what's the what's the talk on tour? Uh, yeah, it's interesting, hazy, and it's always great to catch up with you, mate. Um, I I. I when I was up in China, it was interesting talking to a few people up there about it, and and the general the general feeling up there was that you know when China golf in China was booming a few years ago, and all of a sudden all these courses you know were popping up all over the place, and look they're quality golf courses you know, and and you know this one was that we played, but um, the understanding up there and the and the chatter was that you know when they I guess when they got the land to build all these golf courses, a lot of that land was local farmland, local-owned farmland with, with farmers, and they were promised that they would be given work in, you know, in the hotels and all the rest of it that were going to be built on these golf courses. And um, a lot of those golf courses didn't end up building hotels and just there's a golf course there but not the hotel on site. And so subsequently, a lot of that work that was promised to the locals hasn't ever eventuated. And there's been a change in the, in the at the top end of the political regime in China and the guy who's in charge now is is less golf um, I guess favours golf a little less and so he's starting to he's, that's the word is that he's just been starting to crack the whip on golf courses so golf courses are starting to close down because they didn't do the right thing by 
the locals, and so you know it's um, it's a bit of a change. And then the, on the financial side of things, the, I know the guys playing on the the China tour this year, which was obviously linked to PGA Tour last year. Um, you know, a lot of those guys are you know struggling a little bit to get their money as well. Unless they've got a localized bank account in China, they're not getting paid. So you know they have to they have to somehow find a way to get a, a bank account opened in in China, which is easier said than done as well. So mm. yeah, look, I think it's. Um, I mean, it's sad in a way because, you know, I think mm. they did build so many good golf courses. And, Clayton, you might know a little bit more about that being, being the course designer now. But, yeah, um, yeah there certainly was a lot of quality golf courses. And, you know, it would be nice to actually have more events in China showcasing those courses and, you know, hopefully growing the game worldwide because we know the population in China is enormous. So, you know. Well, I think yeah, they banned, didn't they ban government officials from playing golf? I think that they've been banned from playing. And I think yeah. golf shot itself in the foot, or developers did, by not getting the proper permits. You know, I think the government said it's enough. I mean, I can understand why they, in many yeah. cases, I mean, they built a golf course in a national park in some unbelievable mountain rocky side in the middle of China. So it was an incredible-looking course that shut down now. But, I mean, you know, golf shot itself in the foot by not doing the right thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And one for the scuttlebutt side that we have never introduced into this program, no, Andy. But uh, there's talk very, very loose talk about the Hong Kong Open's future, which is, you know, not I wouldn't say time-honoured, but it's been going for oh, a long time. Family, yeah. uh, you know, great, a great uh, event on the European tour now as well. Um, that You know, its immediate future could theoretically be in jeopardy because of China's uh, attitude to- towards golf clubs. Really? And, you know, w- will that one exist in a few years' time? So that'll be an interesting one to you keep You heard an anything eye. about that, Matty? Have you heard, picked up any chatter about that? No, not about that one. Sorry, guys. Okay. Um, it's a bit outside my... I think that's been lack under of, lack of pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> I think that one's been under under the, the government have been threatening Royal Hong Kong for or Hong Kong now for yeah. But they've got three courses there, so I suspect, as I said to you the other day, I think that I don't think it's the whole place. I think they might leave them a decent amount of golf, but three courses are in a place that's pressed for space. It's a luxury and. Well, One Matt, well, not Matt, very good course. So, Matty, we're we're only talking to you because we, you, you put it out on Twitter, and um, we wouldn't know about it otherwise. So, can you, um, you know, when when the money does find its way into the bank account, can you, um, you know, put out a little tweet as well saying everything's okay and the money's in, and we'll we'll do a follow up on the show um, when we read that tweet from you, mate. That'd be great. Mate, no problem at all. It's uh, great to be here, guys, and more than happy to talk anything golf anytime. So, you, give us a bell. You're a good man. Thanks for joining. Good luck us with and it, all Matty. the best. All right, thanks, guys. See ya. Thanks, Matty, mate. Matty Guy joining us on Inside the Ropes. Last one before we get to break. Catherine Kirk's going to join us next. I was speaking of Twitter, I saw you putting out a whole lot of stuff yesterday, um, you being Mike Clayton, as I yeah. point to you, um, <laughs> about a little par three course in an unbelievable piece of real estate here in Australia, Stubbley Park. Why did you feel compelled to um, start tweeting about well, what you were observing there? We do a little work at Yarraband where Jeff Ogilvie's a part holder of the lease there. And we were just talking about it. And I, I'd played there once when I was a kid. I remember taking the tram there <laughs> with my mate, a little nine hole. We got famous because the age used to run a big hole in one competition there. And the winner would get two tickets to the British Open to watch the British, the Open Championship. And a couple of times, pros won it and they went and played the Open. So you had to, it was a charity thing. You put your money in. It was they used the first hole, and it was a pretty cool little course. It was, <laughs> it was nine par threes. It was in my memory of it was it was in pretty good condition. So we were talking about it at Yarra Bend yesterday, and I was like, I'll jump in the car and 
rather than going straight through Q, Q Junction, I'd drive right and <laughs> I drove in there and there's a nice cafe there and it's great views of the city and it's in an amazing location. And there are no, there are nine there are nine mats on the middle of the tees that are otherwise covered in dirt or weeds. There's almost literally no grass on the greens, and well, if it's alive, it's not bent grass or power. So it's uh, the, the fairways are weeds. It's just an utterly degraded, rundown, horribly conditioned golf course. I saw two blokes walking around with two or three clubs because that's all you need to play. But part three, I mean, it was a really cool little place, great place for people to start golf, to play yep. golf, and it should be. I mean, either I mean, Parks Victoria own it; they control it. Either and it's covered in beautiful old river red gums, beautiful trees. Either turn, mash the golf over and turn it to a park, or fix the golf. Well, up. that's what we. The latter is one what or we the want. other. Yeah, we I want mean, the latter. I mean, like, se- sell it and pay for the same sex referendum, the gay marriage referendum. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's got to be worth one hundred twenty-two million dollars at least. <laughs> a double the land itself would I mean, be worth double that. I mean, <laughs> you know, you could build hospitals with it. You could. Have you been there, Hazy? Have you seen where this course is? Yeah, it's no, got it's, incredible views over the city. It's it's right in the middle of you know Studley Park and Kew. It's a beautiful. I mean, I mean, obviously, I would like to see it as a decent golf facility just not not they're decent holes you need to rebuild them but either make it great golf so people who go there think golf's a cool game i mean if you if you'd never played golf before and you walked out and you thought this is golf i mean why would you play this game it's horrible make it a so do something with it either give it up or make it decent but how, don't just leave it as it is how good would it be if it was a golf i know there's um health and safety issues you know if you're going to make it a golf course you can't just let people go walking all over the place and wouldn't it be nice if that was the one place where you could take um, – you go for a game of golf and they don't mind you having a baby in a pram. Or yeah, you can perfect. take your dog for a walk on the course, providing you know it's a, it's a well-behaved animal. And if it was that – if they made it a decent golf course that opened itself up to that, that sort of golf course behaviour – and I imagine for Studley Park here in Victoria – there would be a golf course like this, a public golf course facility like this in just about every state in Australia. Mm. Um, We need to keep these um, organs alive because they are the things that breathe life into the game and are entree points for people into the sport. So it's really important, I reckon. There's a lot lot of ongoing debate, particularly in Sydney, with a few courses that we mentioned here. Uh, And, you know, you say Rosney Park, maybe, Clates in Hobart, for example, was something, a course that once was but is no longer a patch on what it used to be. Um, I I would have thought that this might have been an example um, of somewhere where you could potentially sell a sell a chunk of land off for finance six hole course or a four hole course or something like that we don't need to be wedded to nine or 18 but it's, but it's a perfect it's a tiny little nine hole course I and mean, when i walked it in 15 minutes yeah you could play it in 45 but if someone wanted to go out there and park a picnic on the third green and sit there all day they wouldn't have a problem doing it yeah, mm. yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, no one's out there playing it's just i mean it's just, I don't, and i don't mind governments taking golf away if they Re- invest more in other golf somewhere else to Correct. make that better. Correct. And, uh, you know, the state can do with better Melbourne-based public golf courses. You know, the golf course, Agreed. golf can be better. There can be better public golf in Melbourne than there is. Oh, and you can say, and, I'm sure you can say the same thing about Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, yeah. you know, Hobart, say the thing about every other major capital city yeah. around yeah. Australia. And, you, and know. The, you know, the government's investing a lot of money at the, the house of golf, at, the home of golf at Sandringham, mm. which will be terrific. That course is going to be a whole lot better than it is now. 
and, and it's, a, it's a really good course now, but it can be so much. But right next to Royal Melbourne, it can be miles better than it is. But, but just to have a little nine-hole course in the middle of the city with incredible views, Christ. either sell it for houses or make some decent golf there. But, you know, I mean, you can build a hospital with what that's worth. Well, you need to get the contract and do something about this. That's what we need to advocate for. Are we allowed to do that on this podcast? You can do it if you want. Oh, there you go, no problems. Uh, okay, we'll get a break. Our Catherine Kirk to join us next. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch a golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows? Maybe that last round was just... Just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Hello, I'm Charlie Smyre. This October is Golf Month and the perfect opportunity to share the golf club with your mates. Get around it. Well, there was a major championship played on uh, on the weekend, just gone, and it finished in, well, spectacular and, I've got to say, controversial circumstances. Everybody in the world of golf's been talking about it. Our very own Catherine Kirk was right in the middle of all the drama as it unfolded, not ultimately, but uh, as close to it as you can possibly be without being in the middle of the playoff. And, She's been good enough to join us with her game in pretty good nick. Catherine, thanks for joining us in Inside the Ropes. My pleasure. Thanks um, for well, having me on the show. Well, it's great to have you on. And it's great to have you on a time when you know, your game's obviously in you know, pretty good nick. And I'm, I'm sure the boys will be keen to have a chat to you about that. But you know, we're all trying to watch the Evian back here in Australia on the weekend. And uh, it, you know, it's kind of finished in... Cra- well, it started in kind of crazy circumstances and finished similarly so... Everything that kind of took place, you know, in the opening round and at the end there, how did you kind of read some of the decisions that were made regarding that championship? Well, it was interesting. I was actually first group out on Thursday morning and the first eight holes was pretty playable. Um, With that being said, though, I mean, the back nine was probably easier than the front nine just based on the direction of the the wind. So... um, when we got to our la- or our 18th hole, which was the ninth of the day, it was yeah almost impossible to play. Worst conditions I've seen on a golf course. So um, I'm not surprised they actually kind of scrapped around. Um, I, th- I think they kind of made a good decision, obviously pulling us off the golf course. And then even though they tried to get us back out there, there was no way we could have gone back out. Um, the golf course was just unplayable. So... Um, but yeah, the powers that be just decided to call it to a 54-hole event, which is unusual, but um, I think, yeah, they obviously kind of knew what they were doing because weather wasn't great Sunday afternoon when it finished even, and then certainly Monday wasn't great either. So, so we spoke about that a bit earlier among ourselves, mm. Catherine. Like, it, it seemed like an odd decision. Is it something that the players spoke about that it wasn't 72 holes and you didn't go into Monday? Yeah, I mean, the, the players that were out there totally understood Obviously, the the suspension of play and and the calling of play for the first day. I think maybe they could have tried to play 72 holes, but ultimately, maybe on Saturday night, made a decision to to draw it back to 54. Um, I mean, a lot of players probably think they called it prematurely to 54 holes, but... um, Yeah, I mean, looking back on it, I don't... The only way we would have got 72 in is, is... 
to have gone through to Monday. And like I said, Monday's weather was terrible as well. Mm. Was that part of the consideration? I mean, a lot of there's a lot of people saying, "Oh, well, it's a major championship, and you got to play it to 72 holes." And even if it means finishing on Tuesday, you know, whatever it takes, this thing needs to see itself out. You know, to a full four round, um, you know, kind of conclusion. Do, do you have a position on that? Do, do you think that you know, without taking anything away from Anna Norquist, do, do you think this kind of tournament will have a bit of an asterisk attached to it? It's possible. Um... I think that perhaps the other factor involved is that obviously that the Evian is our fifth major and, and certainly the newest major. So I think uh, all the Evian folks are kind of still trying to figure out what that means exactly. Um, and yeah, they, they obviously had a big pro am on Monday, which they would have perhaps had to maybe even cancel had we played through Monday. So there's a lot of lot of moving parts and a lot of people kind of calling different shots. So. I mean, certainly you wouldn't. I don't think you'd see that in a U.S. Open or a A&A Inspiration or even a, a Women's PGA Championship. So, um, just yeah, just a little little different major, if you will. And your role in it all, Catherine. I mean, the, the sort of up and down um, final round. It was it was compelling to watch. Uh, it was, in fact, it was difficult to watch here in Australia because for some reason Fox Sports decided not to carry the final round, having, you know, sort of committed to the opening three rounds or as much of the opening three rounds as they could. But uh, we've already had a chat about that at the top of the show. How did you kind of see yourself in terms of, you know, genuine contention in that on that back nine? It was, it was such a roller coaster. It was, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, there weren't leaderboards out on the golf course on every hole either. So I, I'm usually a leaderboard watcher, but right. I don't think I saw one until... 16 green and I saw Anna Nordquist was at 10 under and actually it was 15 green um, and I, I, I birdied that par 5 to get to 9 under um, and then I, and I didn't see another one after really 16 so um, yeah it was kind of I guess there was at one point maybe 3 or 4 of us tied it to the lead and I was playing obviously with Maury Jatanagan who had the lead for most of the day and she made kind of a I guess an unforced error on a par 5 it was at number 13 um, hit one OB and yeah, it was just it was kind of a goofy day with yeah that many leader leader changes. So um, I got obviously had a had a chance, but yeah, bogeys on sixteen, seventeen kind of weren't 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 at the right times. And um, yeah, I mean I'm disappointed that I'm you know, I missed out by one, but at the same time, finishing with a birdie on eighteen was a good finish too. So mm. I did. I mean I I gave it my best, and that's just how golf goes. How do you think you will reflect on this, Catherine, in a couple of years' time? You came super close to the Women's British Open seven years ago now, maybe. Um, you know, it, Hopefully, you've got another crack at this. If it doesn't work out that way, is that something you can reflect on happily or is it something that really inspires you to have a, another crack in the next couple of years? Yeah, I think it's only going to be a, a confidence boost for me, really. Um, I mean, Anna's a great player and um, she's yeah, certainly, I think, proved herself in, in majors and regular events, so um, she did. Yeah, she played great on Sunday and, and deserved to win. But as far as my game is concerned, I think I still think my best golf's ahead of me, and and I'd love to win a major one one day. So I, I mean, I think I'll get more opportunities, but um, I just got to keep working hard. So speaking of your best golf being ahead of you, your hopefully your the the poor golf of the <clears throat> excuse me again. Um, the poor golf of the last two years is obviously way behind you. I mean, you, you, you've played so consistently well for eight or ten years, and the last couple of years were far from your best. And 
you know, I guess, I mean, I know I look, when we were out at Royal Melbourne a couple of years ago, it's like, well, she's kind of on the side a bit. And then, I mean, this year's been amazing how well you've played. So what happened? Uh, a couple of things, really. Um, my, my coach here in Wichita, who I've been working with for, I think, going on five years now, he uh, realized we were kind of going down the, the wrong path a little bit with my full swing. And he found a guy out in California that we've been now working with for, Almost two years, um, and and that's been probably the biggest difference maker. Um, I've kind of eliminated. I used to <laughs> used to hit a, quite a bad hook, um, and especially under pressure when the timing was a little off, it would even yeah get pretty ugly. So I've I've basically eliminated that, and the ball striking is better, proximity to the hole is better, and um, in addition to that, my my short game is better. So that's. Yeah, we're moving in the right direction. But, yeah, I honestly think um, my ball striking, I think, is going to get better even even more over the next year or two. And um, if I can keep the short game just as sharp, then, yeah, that's why I, I feel like I can continue to play good golf. So do you go out to California for lessons, or how does that work? Yes, I, I go out there maybe four or five times a year. Okay. I'm actually headed out there on Friday for two days before going down to New Zealand. Um, and then I send both Dana and Josh uh, swing video when I'm on the road, and they're pretty good about getting back to me. If I if I need to do certain drills, they can they can tell me to work on. So is Dana the guy in California? He is. Yeah. Dana, what's his surname? Dalquist. Oh, okay, right. Okay, I got it. Yeah, yep. Okay, right. He actually works with um, a lot of guys on the web. dot com. Um, Grant Waite. So he's a little Mac O'Grady stuff. He is a Mac O'Grady. Right. Guy, okay, yeah. I got it. I got. It. No wonder you're playing better. That all makes <laughs> sense now. Yeah. It all makes perfect sense. So, so Catherine, you're going through this kind of, you know, you, you, you're rediscovering, you know, your game. You haven't won for seven years and then you win, um, you know, earlier this year. Did, did you kind of sense that that was coming? Did you get, you know, did you have kind of that rekindled confidence in what you were doing that was telling you that you, know, you were going to be able to get back to that kind of status? Yeah, I, th- I keep pretty good stats and I knew my ball striking was getting better based on, proximity to the hole not to get too technical but um I th- and I learned a lot in back in 2007 too um when I won for the oh, like I said maybe it was 2008 I won for the first time but um at the, at the start of that year I'd I'd been striking it really well and I, I was kind of getting frustrated that I hadn't had better performances and my coach at the time said to me hey you need to be really patient because you are better and it will happen but you can't force it and so this year was kind of a similar thing. I knew I was hitting it well. My short game was, was getting better. So, um, yeah, just a matter of kind of being, I guess, working on, the, on everything I needed to, but also it's just kind of waiting for my time. And certainly that win in um, Wisconsin, even, I mean, I didn't expect it, but, when, I mean, when you're playing well, um, you just kind of you ride that as, that as long as you can and, um, I was fortunate enough to, to pull it off. Were you ever close to just seriously just packing up and walking? Yeah, 2015 and even 16 were quite rough years. And um, I remember f- finishing, would have been kind of late August last year, and my husband started a, a new company. And I actually went, went into their office for about a month and did paperwork for them because <laughs> my season was over. And... Um, I, I was saying to myself, you know what, I, golf. If I, if I, you know, if I'm not competitive and, and I'm not, uh, yeah, doing what I think I should be doing, and 
maybe I need to look at doing something else. But then the, the office gig, I was like, no, I couldn't handle this. <laughs> Not for me. So. <laughs> that might have been a, a blessing in disguise, actually. That's what you need. You need to get a real job just to, just to yeah. remind you how important and how attractive being a pro golfer is. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. I didn't. I didn't like having to get dressed up every day and do my hair. I much prefer, you know, putting on golf clothes and a cap and <laughs> walking out the door and being outside. As somebody who watches, it's funny. Like somebody who just sits back here in you know their lounge room and watches a lot of golf. I don't know whether you've noticed this about yourself, but um, the way you carry yourself on a golf course now, you even look different in the last six months. Do you, you have this kind of presence about you now when you're watching. Um, you know, you play in these, you know, these tournaments on the LPGA or the major championships around the place. Do you? Am I? Am I making that up, or do you kind of? Can you physically see a difference in the way that you're kind of getting around a golf course? I think I know that I'm capable of playing good golf again, and obviously, yeah, the wind kind of helps me realize like I can I can do it out here, and um, I can kind of maybe still compete with the young guns so i i don't i mean i don't i can't tell a difference but i certainly know that my confidence level is is higher than what it has been so um that, that's the fun part knowing that you can play good golf and, and pull pull shots off under pressure so Catherine, um you led the women's australian open from memory first round this year yes it was that the start of what this season's developed into, or was that an aberration, or did it, that sort of uh, experience in rounds two, three, and four sort of set the set the wheels in motion for you to realise that there is something still there? Yeah, I think. I mean, it was it was textbook that first round um, at the Aussie Open, and I I've always known I could shoot good scores, um, but putting four rounds together has always been a little bit challenging for me. And the weeks that I figure it out, obviously, I yeah come pretty close to to winning. So, um, I yeah, I, it's just it's it's funny. I I mean, I've I would say that uh, when I won in in Wisconsin back in July, it was obviously four good four really good rounds together. Um, and then even though last week was only three rounds, it was yeah still three rounds under par and and to really to win these days on tour the level of competition is is that much better so you have to be sharp every round you can't just have three rounds good rounds and then one average round it just won't won't let you win these days so um that'll be something that i try and work on obviously going forward is to figure out how to be more consistent over four days but i i think i think i can figure it out Catherine, uh, your your couple of good months in particular uh, have got you right up in the world rankings, inside the top 50 in the world, and most importantly right now, number two in Australia. Uh, I understand the Olympics is something that has flashed through your mind, and especially, you know, your dealings with Kari over the years perhaps perhaps have, you know, instilled that in you as well. Is is Japan on your mind big time? I wouldn't say big time, but it is in the back of my mind for sure. Um, But... I mean, Aussie golf is, is for the girls right now is pretty darn strong. So um, obviously, I'd love to make the team in, in 2020. But if it doesn't happen, then um, so be it. I mean, obviously, I missed out uh, last year, but yeah, I, I think there's no reason I can't try and make the team. And I think it's a good goal to have. Um, it's a long way off, certainly, but I, I mean, I think I can do it. And um, 
just got to yeah keep doing what I'm doing. Okay, we'll just take a little break there uh, because there's been a um, a pretty significant event played up on uh, up in Queensland. Hazy, that you know a little bit about? Yeah, the the Catherine Kirk Classic was played at Maroochee River this week, and we had a really great winner, a young winner, 15 year old from Queensland, Cassie Porter, who's joined us on the line. Cassie, uh, welcome to Inside the Ropes. Thank you. Glad to be here. That must have mean a lot to you. Yeah, it was great. It was big achievement. <laughs> and, and really important to win uh, an event in, you know, named in someone's honour like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I look up to Catherine Kirk, so it was a big honour to win the event. Well, aside from the, the great achievement you've, you've made at Marucci River this week, we've got a special surprise for you, actually, Cassie. There's someone on the line who wants to talk to you. Oh, okay. Um, is that pretty special someone there uh, who wants to have a chat to you, Cassie? Sorry, yes, no. Cassie, congratulations. Oh. oh, hello. How are you? <laughs> Thank you. I'm great. How are you? You must be on top of the world, huh? Yeah, it feels great. <laughs> Cassie, do you know who that is yeah, talking yeah. to you right now? Well, is this Catherine? It is, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that was an awesome final round. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was... Yeah, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great moment in broadcasting history here, guys. If you feel free to talk among yourselves for a second, but we, we're just really thrilled that you could um, you know share a moment here, Catherine, with Cassie, because we know that she does mean a lot to you. Yeah, no, this is great. Honestly, oh, I'm so honoured to be able to speak to you. <laughs> well, it's a surprise for me too. So <laughs> I wish I could have been there to see it. You obviously, yeah, you played great on in that last round and. Um, we're a very worthy champion, so congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> hey, Catherine, it's such an... In, I mean, golf, you know, you've got your team that, you know, help you get to where you want to get to, um, but ostensibly it's a pretty individual sport. Um, are you conscious of the fact that, you know, on the other side of the planet, you are actually still a role model to, you know, this young wave of players that, you know, hopefully going to emulate your feats one day? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, growing up, I always looked up to Jan Stevenson and, and Kari Webb and even though I didn't really get to see them play I was kind of knew where they were and and what they were doing and certainly um, appreciated the fact that they grew up in Queensland and, and played all of the, the same junior tournaments that I did so um, yeah I think yeah it's nice to be able to still kind of have a feel for what's going on back home and certainly um, I'd love to yeah, provide opportunities for girls to play more golf and obviously kickstart their careers too. That's got to sound pretty special, Cassie. Yeah, it's amazing, honestly. <laughs> so, Catherine, if you had yeah. one piece of advice for, for all the all the girls, all the girls to help out. I know Rachel Hetherington um, does a lot for junior golf in Australia, and, and Shaney War does too, and Kari obviously with her series. So. It's it's important that you know we help out and and provide opportunities for young girls to to get going with golf. So, Catherine, if you, given that you've witnessed the rise of Korean golf, if you had one two pieces of advice to a fifteen year old who wants to be, I assume, on the LPJ tour, what would be the one piece of advice that you would give that's been that the Koreans do really well, and one piece of advice that you would want to avoid as part of the Korean drive to the top of the game. Yeah, that's a great... Does that make any sense? I think, yeah, I think one of the things they do really well is obviously um, they're very technically sound um, and they have great short games. And, I mean, any kid that I meet these days, I always tell them, hey, if you're not practising your short game at least 50% of the time, then you need to change that up because it's it's critical. I mean, tee to green, a lot of players are 
pretty much the same, but, I mean, you can really make a difference around the greens and on the greens. Um, and I think maybe the, the thing, though, that the Asian players perhaps miss out on um, is they don't quite get the concept of balance. And I think a lot of them burn out faster because of it. I mean, they might have great careers, but they're short careers. So I would I always tell kids to, you know, try and play maybe another sport or have an interest outside of golf that you can enjoy because it just helps you keep balance in your life. Perfect answer. I would have thought. Great, great Cass- advice. Cassie, uh, this will be forever available to you to reference back. Um, it'll be on the golf.org.au website. <laughs> so anytime you need to remember what Catherine Kirk's advice to you was, it'll be there forever. Congratulations on winning that event. And Thank you so much. I'll definitely be referring to that. <laughs> and, and hopefully it's been a, a, another little kick along for you to um, hear, hear from hear from the the lady whose name's on the on the event that you you triumphed. Yeah, thank you so much. Good on Thanks, you, Cassie. Hey, Catherine, we'll let you go too. You've been really generous with your time. It's great to see you back playing the sort of golf you are. The success you had that you've talked about a couple of times on the way through with us today. You know, earlier in the year, and then so close at Evian. Uh, anybody who's watching you play at the moment knows that. Um, it's going to be more of uh, more rather than less in the coming years. Um, the game looks to be in really good nick, and you know I think we've got a lot to look forward to from Catherine Kirk in the coming years. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. My pleasure, and I hope Cassie keeps up the good work too. I'm sure she will. Catherine Kirk and Cassie Porter joining us on Inside the Ropes. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program visit swingfit.com.au. G'day, my name's Hannah Green. Thanks to Inside the Ropes for making all my travels on the semester tour so much fun. Time to continue the road to the Australian Open series and it's getting ever closer. We go back to 1986. Did you actually contend here, Clates, before we get to our special guest, the man who actually won it? Did you, were you ever, did you ever nah. stick your nose in the frame? Yeah, nah, tight where did I finish? 15? Yeah, 15. No, yeah. never a chance to win. Never got your nose anywhere never. near no. contending? Right, eh? No. Gee, some good names up above you. And the one that stood tall at the end of it all was Roger Davis. And he's been good enough to join us on Inside the Ropes. Uh, great to have you as part of the show, Roger. That's not a problem. 86. We, oh, this is the first question I ask all of you know you fellas when we get you on the show. The, the memories from um, that Australian Open, it's, you know, as every year goes by, it gets further away. Are they, are they still sharp? Uh, especially the second shot I hit into 17, um, because I was actually playing with Swampy, Graham Marsh, and he was one shot in front of me playing 17, and uh, I hit it past him off the tee, even though it was into quite a strong wind. And he leaked his second shot into the trap, and I hit a five iron for my second shot to a foot. And he made five, I made three, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, game over. It would have been unusual for Marchie to make a bogey out of a bunker. <laughs> Jeez. I must admit. He was probably lucky to make bogey. <laughs> he, he did thin it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a back what renowned poor bunker player, have, was Have you ever seen a worse bunker player amongst a, a group of players? You know, obviously a tremendous player. Mm. Have you ever seen a worse bunker player than Marchie? No, I don't think I have. I must admit, he uh, – and this bunker, when I've sort of walked – 
up onto the green. I had a quick look into the bunker to see where it was. It was just on a nice little upslope. He had plenty, plenty of green to work with, and he thinned it onto the back edge. Well, well, that's the easiest bunker shot at Metro, the right-hand bunker at 17. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's probably the one easy bunker shot on the whole course. Yeah, I tend to agree. Yeah. So, Rog, you talk about what happened on 17, and you stick your nose, you get past um, Graham Marsh at that point, but you've still got Ian Baker Finch, who's behind you, um, playing 17 when you do what you do on 18. Can you tell us about how that, the, the scoreboard and the lead change and how all that played out in that f- kind of five or ten minutes? It was, it was always fairly close. Um, but when I didn't birdie 16 and Finchie as Clates knows, is one of the best wedge players. And, you know, he'd sort of just go three iron or four wood or three wood, whatever, down the middle and straight into his uh, gun area, of, you know, a, a wedge or a sand wedge. And, you know, at the back of your mind, you most, even though you're not trying to think about other people's games, you're thinking, well, he's going to make three. Um, so... You know, that could sort of tip the scales. But, uh, you know, stand on the 18th tee and he's on 17 and the, and the board changed and he hadn't birdied 16. You know, that just gives you that little bit more adrenaline, I suppose. Um, you know, I find it hard to understand how some guys say they never look at a leaderboard because <laughs> they're everywhere and, you know, you really want to know where you are. In the tournament. Yeah, well, worse than not burning, he actually bogeyed it. Well, that's right. Yeah, so, so he went he went bogey. He went. He uh, was actually... He th- went bogey, double bogey, driving yeah. it into that bunker that that's you right. snuck past on six on 17, which was a... I mean, I remember you were way down long and left on 17 in the perfect yeah. spot. And, you know, that, that bunker... You, 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 you probably missed that bunker by two or three yards, but Finchie went in there and made six, and it was, it was bizarre how it changed so quickly. Yeah. And it and it can, you know that that's the thing that, you know the one of the great things about the you guys down there in on the Sandbelt golf courses, they're such great designs that, you know, there's certain areas you just can't go, and if you do, you're in trouble, serious trouble, you know, and um, you know like 18, uh, the par four, the rough down the left hand side was so thick. That um, you you just couldn't go in there, so you know you had to flirt with the right hand bunker. And as it turned out, I just missed it. But Marshy uh, drove into the bunker uh, on the right, so sort of that you know made it even harder for himself. Um, but there's there's all little catches on those sandbelt courses that you've really got to have a good game plan and and really know where you, you're trying to hit it to and. You know, with the change of wind, it's a change of strategy as well. So this is most probably why a lot of the Australian players just love playing in Melbourne. What did it mean to you, Roger? I mean, you won a lot of tournaments, you know, all over the place. What what, what does winning the National Open mean to you? Uh, well, it's, you know, one of the things when you start off, I suppose, is, you know, you're on the practice putting green and, you know, you're, you're sort of challenging your mate for maybe a, a penny or whatever it was in those days. And it's always that six-footer that you're going to win the Australian Open. <laughs> um, you know, and then all of a sudden you, you turn pro and it's a six-footer 
to win the US Masters or something like that. But uh, I think your Australian title is is something that um, you you know you want on your resume. Uh, one I didn't win, which um, you know at the time I suppose I was a little bit disappointed, but it doesn't sort of worry me too much now because I won the Australian Open, was the Australian amateur, you know. And when you're sort of playing well as an amateur, you know, that's the prize that you're after as well. Um, so, you know, your country's title, I think, means a hell of a lot to, to most people. Clayton's chest just pumped out a bit then when you said that, Roger. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll drop the Australian amateur for the Australian Open. Um, so speaking about country's famous sportsman, Keith Miller used to caddy for you. Can you talk a little bit about the influence he had on you? Uh, when I turned professional, I, I didn't want to do my apprenticeship at Pimble, where I was a, an amateur member, hmm. um, mainly because I didn't want to buff all my mates' clubs. <laughs> 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 so, so I went down to Long Reef, and um, I met two guys down there that used to play together all the time, a guy called Frank Bruce, who was in the rag trade, and uh, Keith Miller, whom you know, I used to either play with them on a Wednesday or a Friday and got to know both of them really well. And uh, when I turned pro and got into the first, my first one as a pro, uh, the Australian Open at the Australian, and then I was going to play the Chrysler Classic down in Melbourne at Royal Melbourne, um, Nugget just said, uh, you know, I sort of talked to him as well, and he just said, well... You know, I'm going to be down in Sydney and Melbourne. How about I caddy for you? And I thought, you beauty. <laughs> you know, he he had that ability, and I assume that's why he was loved so well in cricket, that he would say the right thing at the right time. And one of the things um, we played with Nicholas, and I suppose this one game of golf put a huge influence on my golf career, is that... You know, playing against Nicholas uh, in 76, Nugget said to me after that last round, he said, you know, you've got a lot of thinking to do here. He said, because I saw what Nicholas did today, and I hope you did, and you know where all the pins were. Just go back and go through his round. And, you know, Nicholas had always made the statement, you can't make birdies out of the rough, you know, like the equipment's allowing the guys to do it these days. But in our day, if you were in the rut, you got these flyers, you got just about everything. So it was hard to get it close to the flag. And at the Australian, there were 13 driving holes. 11 of the 13, I was within like five yards of him or just past him with a driver and he's hitting driver. But there were two par fives into the wind that he let fly and, you know, knocked it. I hit my Sunday best and he knocked it past me by about 40 yards. (laughs) But the one great thing that I learned was he'd hit a little fade or a little draw off the tee, mainly fades, but he never had to go over anything. It was the easiest 66 I've ever seen a guy play, and he was never going over a close trap or anything. He was always going up the green, you know, feeding towards the hole. And and that's why his, his score looked so easy. Like some of the time I had to run for cover, I couldn't get at the flag, so I had to go middle of the green and two putts from sort of 30 feet. Whereas he could have a crack at virtually every flag in that 18 holes. And it was just, you know, 
when I sort of got home and went through it, I thought, wow, geez, have I learned a lot about the game of golf. Uh, you know? Were you able to kind of put that into practice yourself thereafter, Rog? Well, I tried to, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I, especially on the Lynx courses. And I won a, most of my money in Melbourne. Um, and on those sandbelt courses, uh, you know, Royal Melbourne, mm. you know, you've got to, when they put certain pins in those greens over a little hump or something, you've got to be able to put your drive in a position, even though it's an 80-yard wide fairway, you've got to be able to put your drive in a certain position to be able to hit it into a little upslope. And if you don't, then you've got to run for cover. Uh, you know, there's little subtleties all the time, which uh, I would have to say he had that influence. And that's one of the reasons I've rated him the best, because his golf course management was just second to none. Well, one of the great things about Melbourne is the middle of the fairway is never the best place to be. Yeah, correct. I totally agree. It's always the edge. Now, speaking about Australian Opens, this will be hard for anyone to believe, but you finished fifth, I think, at Lake Karen up in... 1974 as a pro. Well, yes. Well, yeah. I was. Yeah, well, pro, well but... so, so just um, can you tell us how much money you won for finishing fifth as a pro at Lake Karanup? Well, I didn't. I know. I just to it. point out how ridiculous the rules used to be. <laughs> I was under the apprenticeship system, and Qantas wanted both Noel Ratcliffe and myself to play. Um, so, you know, they flew us over there. And, um, you know, they put us up, which was fantastic. And, and I ran fifth. But part of the PGA rules, uh, because I hadn't passed certain exams and you couldn't go for those exams until you'd, you'd done your first uh, year, um, I ran fifth and couldn't take the money. <laughs> Unbelievable. Which is just, it's just you look back, it's... Dare I say it, it's a bit like the gay marriage debate now. You look back and go, was was that? Did that really happen? Yeah. I mean, you could play. I mean, so, so the rule was you could play the first six months or the first year. You couldn't take any money. Couldn't take any money for the first year until you uh, you pass phase one or something. Oh, just just um, no, no wonder they wanted to fly you over there, Rog. But the worst part was um, the next year they changed the rules. And allowed Harry Berwick, George Bell, um, Peter Headland, Peter Headland, that's yep. right. And Terry Gale, Gale, probably. Yep. Terry Gale, I think that was the fourth one. Yeah. They allowed them to turn pro uh, from amateur. So Noel Ratcliffe and myself applied, and they said no because you're already in the system. <laughs> so we still had to do the three years in a pro shop. Yeah, wow. it was bizarre. Um, <laughs> while we're talking about links courses. You had a great chance to win. You were leading the Open in 1979 when Seve won on the 14th hole. So talk a little bit about that and, a, and more about, I mean, you played a lot with Seve and saw how great he was and the shots he could hit. I know you've got some great stories about Seve and how he played the game. Well, one of the, one of the best stories came from his caddy. Um, and we know uh, how good he was with a three-iron out of a bunker. He used to do exhibition matches with a three-iron and he could get it inside, I'd say, 80% of uh, the, the PGA Tour players with a three-iron. That's how good he was. And I still remember Pete Coleman. We're playing the German Open and we're talking now um, in September. Yep. 
and he's headed up the back of the bunker on the downslope, short-sighted himself. He has absolutely no shot. And I'd say there's this two inches of rough just out of the bunker that the greenkeeper forgot to cut. And anyway, he hits this shot <laughs> off the downslope as soft as you could believe and pitched it in this two-inch area. And it dribbles down to about six foot past. Now, I thought he'd be going to get it on the green, but it was six foot past. So I said to Pete Coleman, go to the next tee, because I was running third or fourth at the time and he was leading. I said, uh, Pete, you know, that's one of the best bunker shots I have seen. He said, mate, that's, that's nothing. He said, you know the TPC at Sawgrass? Mm-hmm. I said, oh, yeah. He said... He failed to get it up and down on the 16th out of the front right trap, the last round. Now, we're talking the first, uh, second week of March or third week of March. He said he failed to get it up and down. He said, and that shot I thought was going to break his run because he's got every bunker shot up and down since then. God, wow. Now, you're talking six month <laughs> wow. of majors of everything. Wow. Well, the Open at Lytham, that, that 79 Open, he got it up and down, I think, 14 out of 15 times out of the bunkers that week. Yeah. And the thing at Lytham that killed me, I was on 14, and I took a gamble off the tee with the driver hitting it over the left rough, and it paid off, and I'm in the middle of the fairway going in with four iron. If you hit it down the fairway, you couldn't get home in two because it was so windy. Mm. And I had to back off my four iron because Seve's over the back of the 13th uh, in the rough and hold it, hold his chip shot. <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, and then, of course, we know the, the rest of the story is out of the car park at 16 yeah. and so on and so forth. But, you know, he, he just had that undefinable lit. And you knew something was going to happen. And that's why people followed him. You know, they were just waiting for it to happen. So, Roger, he, he's a freak. I mean, there's not been many shot makers like him. Uh, you, you won seven times in Europe, and I, I hope we get the chance to talk to you about the day you beat Clayton, um, you know, in 1990 before we wrap this up. But <laughs> Langer, Langer beat you three times in Europe. You finished second to him three times in Europe, once by one shots and twice in playoffs. And you know, he was a perennial who came down here and you know really supported the Australian tour. Ballesteros was you know the freak. Was there a tougher player? You were renowned as being a you know, really tough competitor. Was there a tougher competitor than Langer in your time in golf? I think there were t- the the thing about Langer and this to people that are listening might sound a little bit strange, but in my career there have been two guys. Bernard Langer and Billy Dunk that have had the ability to hit it flag high. Now, you know, <laughs> if you slightly miss hit a shot or whatever, you're going to come up, you know, 15 feet short and, um, you know, to the right, most probably 30 feet right or something like that. But those two guys, even if they looked as though they miss hit a shot, it was still flag high. And, uh, you know... They make the right connection all the time. You know, it's hard to explain what it was. 
And that's why both of them broke so many course records because, you know, both of them could putt like hell as well. Um, but Langer and Dunkey were the two that had that ability. Um, and, of course, they were both fairly tough out there, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially Langer. Look at him still at 59. He's winning everything on the on the Champions Tour, you know. Yeah. Billy, I mean, Billy was a pretty – well, he was an incredibly underrated player. Oh, totally. I mean, you, you played with him more than I did, but I played with him a lot, and wow, he was a tremendous player. Yeah, he really was. Um, did... You know, it's, a, it's you know, you can't say much more about him. Eh? I mean, <laughs> did Dunk play much overseas? You too? I remember him sort of, you know, dominating in, and forever being in contention here. But I don't remember much about him playing overseas. Did, did he, he take his game abroad he much? Played in Japan quite a bit, but there's a famous story about him, Roger. You all know. He flew to Heathrow and sat in the hotel for three days and flew home again. <laughs> That's right. Bad weather. I'm going home. <laughs> right. Yeah. He, he, uh, and he didn't like travelling. You know, that that was the thing about Dunkey. He didn't like travelling. So, so Roger, when you're in 1990, when you you get to the playoff in the Wang Four Stars um, and you're up against <laughs> Bill Malley, Mark McNulty and Michael Clayton, were you feeling reasonably confident? I mean, <laughs> how were you feeling staring down those three blocks? Well, you know, I, I thought that it was really nice of them, that they feel, felt sorry for the poor old battling pro in the group. Jeez, and I mean... Me, and they let me win. I'll tell you what was really bad about that was Bill Malley, who's now a caddy at Whisper Rock where Jeff Ogilvie plays, and McNulty went out in the first hole, and I went six more holes, and Bill Malley and McNulty and I got the same amount of money. Right. <laughs> I thought, like, at least I deserved a little more than they did for grinding through five more holes of the playoff. Did you blow it? Did you have the chance? Did, was no, there one, no, nothing no. happened. I, I, the 7th was an easy par five, and I parred it, and Roger beat it, and no, nothing unusual happened. We just kind of, we parred the 18th, which was a, Hard hole, and we birdied, and we and we yeah. birdied seventeen, which was an easy hole. So we kind of went three birdies, three pars, and Roger birdied seventeen, and I bogeyed it. But I tell you, who it came from it was Squirrel, who caddied for Jeff Ogilvie when he won the US Open. So that was Squirrel's still out there caddying, yeah. amazingly. Yeah. yeah. And where does Jimmy come from, um, Roger? Before we came on, you called Clay. You referred to him as Clay, uh, Clay's as Jimmy. Where can you tell us where that comes from? Uh, good question. It's been around for a fair while. Well, it's the uh, Scottish equivalent of mate, and I used to call caddies Jimmy. I, I, I could never remember their names, so I just called them all Jimmy. So somehow I finished up being Jimmy. So. <laughs> That'll do. Yeah. But, yeah. Roger, I've got to ask you a non-golf question. My my boss, John Sutherland, has gone through the archives of the Australian Open photos recently, and he's found some absolute crackers, one with a big fag hanging out of your mouth on a tee. <laughs> Um, it's an absolute beauty. And, of course, everyone um, re- remembers your, your magnificent fashion that you wore, you, you made popular, or one of the guys who made that popular. What in, well, Talk us about the cigarettes first, and then maybe what, what inspired you to go the fashion route. Um, well, the cigarettes, it was just one of those uh, things. When I sort of was 15, uh, 16 or whatever, it was the in thing to smoke. Um <laughs> In fact, when I turned pro, I'd have to say that um, more than 50% of the guys used to smoke. Um, And then over the years, it sort of uh, went out the back door and I tried once to give it away, you know, serious try. 
and I'd really struggled for 19 months and then I got robbed in Mexico playing on the Champions Tour and <laughs> I, uh, as a result I went straight back on the cigarettes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a guy with a 9 millimeter at your head is not much fun. <laughs> Makes smoking look safe. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, then I sort of... Um, I I made my mind up that I I was going to give it away and um you know that was 11 12 years ago and you know I'll I'll never smoke again it's the most it's the best thing I've ever done the worst thing that most probably happened was uh you know I sort of was going through marriage problems at the time and I gave up the cigarette so you know I took up sort of eating and drinking and put on a hell of a lot of weight and uh you know, luckily, well, not luckily, sorry, that's a bad term, but uh, luck for me in in some ways is my partner, Julie, um, has got bowel, had, had bowel cancer and she's just finished the chemo, but we did a pact in February that um, she's got to go through all the, all the problems of the chemo and, you know, bad health, you know, cause of it, I'd lose some weight. Well, I'm now uh, 21 kilos lighter. And I've come in six inches around the, the stomach, and Jimmy won't even recognise. Good job, good job, well done. That's not easy to do. So, do those do the plus fours fit you again? Uh, I tried them on the other day, and I'm just trying to think of the right tournament to uh, to wear them. <laughs> oh, the Dave Mercer Kalara Pro Am, Dodge. You got to bring him out. <laughs> that was the one I was thinking. Yeah, that, that's that's uh, that, that's the one. Yeah. What did it, what did those plus fours do to your career, mate? Um, I'd have to say that they made you noticeable and they also made you concentrate that little bit harder because <laughs> when I first started to wear them, I mean, the cat calls and all this <laughs> were out there. <laughs> and, you know, if you didn't sort of, uh, you weren't concentrating too well before that, it made you concentrate even harder. And, uh, but then people got used to it and, um, they were actually very comfortable to wear, uh, you know, because mine weren't the real baggy ones. Mine were a bit more streamlined, and, uh, you know, they were, they were very comfortable. Well, mate, on that note, it's, uh, it's uh, you're synonymous with those, and they're synonymous with you, and uh, we started having a chat about the 86 Australian Open Triumph at Metro, and we've sort of wandered all over the place, which has been enormous fun for us, Roger. Congratulations on uh, winning, you know, the Open Championship back then when you won it and everything else you've done in the great game. We really appreciate you joining us on Inside the Ropes. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Roger Davis joining us on the show. G'day, I'm my golf ambassador, Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for my golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment. And just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. Hi, this is Aaron Price, and October is Golf Month. Golf Month is the perfect time to share with your family and friends. So get out there this October and have a go. Okay, time to wrap it up. Hazy, Clay's set to go. Um, off the end of that, he was, he was pushing it right to the end. He's got a very important meeting he has to attend to. So he, um, in the break, alerted us to that. He sends his uh, due regards to everybody listening. Uh, the last bits and pieces, Golf Month. Um, 
what's going on? Well, the key thing with Golf Month is, as we've said for the last three or four months, Andy, is to get your club involved. Um, still, we're still actively encouraging and recruiting all clubs and facilities and putt-putt courses and speed golf and foot golf, whatever you can, whatever you're interested in, get it involved, get it registered on our website and get people along who don't necessarily uh, get to play golf or a variation thereof. Um, it's all about catching the golf bug, golf month, this mm. October, Andy. So the big thing uh, in terms of a prize that would perhaps lure people into actually doing this is is we're still giving people the chance to win one of four ultimate golf bug adventures to Barn Boogle. I've said that correctly. Barn, I, Barn I, Bugle, as you've been going with. I've been going with Barn Bugle, and I got reprimanded very not, not very surprised. you know very politely during the week that it's <laughs> Barn Bugle. So Barn Bugle, thank you to the learned listener. Cape Wickham, Ocean Dunes, and of course Lost Farm. You get to play all four courses. Uh, and I didn't realise this, Andy. Um, on our golfmonth.com.au website, you actually get to play 38 holes at Lost Farm and Barn Bugle. Because there's 20 holes at Lost Farm. Did you know that? I did not know that. So you get a, what would that be, a 74-hole golf experience on those magnificent courses. So it makes it even better. So just uh, that's courtesy of Golf Australia and the Air Adventure Golf Tours. All you've got to do is on the Golf Month website, golfmonth.com.au, tell us in 150 words or less who you're going to share the golf bug with this October. There you go. That's all you need to do. Um, A Golf Victoria update. Yeah, and on the back of um, Cassie Porter earlier on, you know, there's a lot of junior tournaments going on around Australia that are, you know, really important in the big scheme of things down the track. Uh, Golf Victoria's got their Boys and Girls Championships coming up, I think, the next week from memory, and I apologise, I haven't got it written down in front of me. But what we uh, are doing here in mentioning it is that Golf Victoria is doing a live stream. So, you know, when it, it. Golf Victoria is fully aware that it's not going to have 10,000 people hanging out of the rafters uh, wanting to burst through the gates and see it. But what it does allow people right around Australia to check out some of the best That's talent. Awesome. And, and the uh, you know the honour roll of that tournament is phenomenal. Um, well, Mark Leishman, correct. He, he won it many, many years ago, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. correct. And we've, we've spoken about Suo. We speak about her most weeks. He's a recent winner. And Eliza Hetherington and Todd Sin and all these people coming through all past winners of this, and it's live stream on Golf Victoria through their social media channels and on their website. Uh, fantastic initiative. Get around it. That's an awesome thing to um, – that's a great way of taking the event to an audience that if they want to find it, they can find it. It's yeah, a great it's, thing it's, to do. It's a variation it's a of what we're doing here. It's, it's yep. um, you know, the mass media's long since given up on uh, covering golf the way it used to. So, you know, we've got to invent ways to take the game to the masses and kudos to Golf Victoria for doing that. Been a big week, Hazy. Always fun to uh, have a chat to you about it uh, on the podcast. Thanks for joining us again and I'll uh, uh, see you next week. Thanks, Murray. Mark Hayes, along with uh, Mike Clayton, Andy Marr, signing off for another episode of Inside the Ropes. We'll see you next week to do it all again.